Well, good morning and happy new year. Go ahead and turn in your Bible or your iPhone or however you do it to um, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to thank Jonathan for the opportunity to um, be able to preach in his absence today. It's a lot of trust to extend to somebody, so I'm grateful for that. As we look at the book of Ephesians, I specifically want to lift out um, verses from chapter 2. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, then we'll spend some time in Acts chapter 9 a little bit later on uh, in the time, our time together. I've given this message the title, Alternate Endings, God Can Rewrite Your Story. In, um, in 1866, Alfred invented two things that changed the face of warfare and the development of military weapons. He invented dynamite and blasting caps. And these inventions um, paved the way for things that we've heard like landmines and uh, naval mines that sink ships. And really, the, it expanded the ability of nations to um, be at war. Well, Albert Nobel died on December 10, 1895. And when his will was read, he paved the way for what we have come to know as the Nobel Peace Prize. To date, 125 prizes have been awarded. Now, here's the thing. Even though he invented dynamite and the blasting cap and all of the things that expanded uh, warfare, that's not what he wanted to be known for. He wanted to change how people would remember him. And so in his will, he funded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. He chose an alternative ending to his life and memory. Today, as we read this particular passage of Scripture, the beginning of a year in American culture, maybe in other cultures as well, but I know for American culture, is a time to look back on the previous year and forecast in the current year and kind of make some adjustments or some New Year's resolutions and, and don't read about the science or the effectiveness of those things, but people do that. They, they, there's something in us that wants to capture what, we, what happened back here and do better moving forward. But in God's gracious dealing with us, I, I thought it might be helpful for us to do that from a biblical perspective to take a look at a piece, of, a piece of scripture and ask what does it mean for us to look back and be grateful for what God has done, but also to look with hope and anticipation toward the future about what God may want to do in our life. And as we do that, I think there are, really are, there are three kinds of people in this room, or really in any room. There may be more, but at least these three kinds. There's the what next person. And the what next person is the kind of person that in 2022, you are walking with God. You and God are okay. You've, you've stayed in touch with him. You've made space for him. You read the word. You, you, you serve and use your gifts. And so for you, 2022 or 2023 is just a, the next tile over. You just, you're ready to go. It's the what next kind of thing. And, and I hope that's most of us in this room. But I know that there are some people who are the where did I get off track people. And I know that because I've sat where you're sitting and I've been that guy at different times. Where did I get off track? And, and you know what? Sometimes getting off track is uh, not, it wasn't a conscious decision on my part or whatever. It might have been some circumstances that I just allowed to, to distract me. I have a friend who owns a company in Atlanta, and one of his teammates in the company decided he wanted to run a marathon two years ago. 
And um, the way that my friend described it is his body wasn't the kind of body that you would think would run a marathon. And um, so I, whatever that means. And um, so the whole team decided to help him get ready for the marathon. And so they did and he did. And it was marathon day. And so everybody was so excited because his prep had gone well. And, and so all the team says to the guy that's going to run the marathon, we'll meet you at the finish line. And so he takes off, the gun goes. Well, when they go to the finish line, there's a huge crowd at the finish line. And so they, they actually try to get as close to the finish line as they can, but they're a mile away from the actual finish line. And so they're there, they're waiting, and they see their friend coming up on the horizon, and they're jumping and cheering and cheering him on, and he runs to them. And he stops because he thinks the race is over because he said, they said they would meet him at the finish line. But then, then he realizes he's got another mile to go. And what he said was that one mile was worse than all the other miles combined because they moved the finish line. You know, in my life, I've had friends who moved my finish line. In my life, I've had well-intended family members who had other finish lines for me than what God had for me. And so if you're here today and you're off track because somehow the finish line got moved, I want to say to you that that's okay. It's okay. If you can do this and you still feel warm there, then you can get back on God's finish line for you. But I said there were three kinds of people. A third kind of person that might be in the room today is somebody who is interested in spiritual things, but you've never met Jesus. You've never come to the place to personally understand the songs that we just sang about. I mean, you like the music and it was kind of cool and everything, but for those of us who were who are followers of Jesus, we were confessing something as we were singing. We weren't just singing because they're cool songs. We were actually confessing something that's in our heart toward God. And so if you're here, you might be a how do I get started person. And so here's what I want us to see in this text. There's really something for all three groups here. If you are a, if you're a what's next or a where did I get off track or I need to get started, listen to what the Holy Spirit might say to you as we read the text. So uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verses, in verse 8, and we'll go all the way to verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, those are amazing words, right? I mean, that that's really makes clear how we come to faith. We come to faith because of what Jesus Christ has done. The the God-man who came and lived a sinless 33-and-a-half-year life, died for our sins, resurrected back in heaven with God. That man, that historical Jesus, has died, and he, his grace makes it possible for us to have eternal life with him. It, but what's, in, what's amazing to me about this scripture is who wrote it. Now, I know that the Holy Spirit inspires the, the writers, but the Apostle Paul wrote this passage of scripture. I want to remind you of two things that first of all he's writing this from prison this is what's called a prison epistle and so Paul and and don't think like jails like we have like they were different they were like he's literally probably in a sewer somewhere where there's a um, cordoned off um, cells and not necessarily like what we have 
today, not that prison's a great place, but at the end of the day, this is a different kind of prison. And Paul's writing from there. It was 30 years ago that he met Jesus. Most scholars believe this was written probably around A.D. 61. And and here's an interesting thing. Paul dies in A.D. 64. So he's met, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He met Jesus, walked with Jesus for about 30 years. And now we're getting to hear what his perspective is, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about what it's like to walk with Jesus. I think the best way for me to clarify my understanding of what this text is, how radical this is, this would be like ISIS writing about Christianity. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was ISIS. He was, he was seeking another religion. He was seeking to propagate a faith that was not what you and I are practicing today. But what's amazing about this is what God can do in the life of someone who hates him over time. And so he was the persecutor of the church who became none other than Jesus' greatest advocate. Probably our best theologian in the New Testament. And a prolific church planter. And so having, having said all of that, um, I want to just give you a little bit of insight into who I am. I chose this verse in 1988 as one of my life verses. And uh, for some of you, like, you know, 1988 existed like way back there, but it's like, that was actually a year. And, and so, so here's what I want us, here's what I want us to see. I chose a life verse because I knew there was something in that passage that, that would act as guardrails for me, that would act as a compass for me, that would be something that would help me to, 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 to calibrate my life every day on what Jesus uh, wanted to do in my life. And here's just a few things. Uh, that, that it's done for me over 20 or 30 years. It reminds me that God knows my situation and cares enough to step into my situation personally. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a man who claimed to be God and man. And, and, and I mean, I want you to think about this. We're here, we say we believe that. And guess what? You can't fully explain it. It's a mystery. It's a promise. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't live on explanation. We live on the promises that Jesus made. And so as as we do that, it reminds me that my situation is a situation that God knows because God knew my lostness and he stepped into it as a nine-year-old boy. I mean, I remember my dad was in the military. We lived in California. I remember hating going to church in California. And then dad got transferred in the Air Force to Loring Air Force Base in in Caribou, Maine. And I remember something happened, and I loved it. There was a fourth grade teacher, Sunday school teacher, who challenged me to memorize John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And she said, if I did, I would get my own box of those peppermint patty things. So I was bribed into the kingdom. I mean, seriously. I mean, at the end of the day, God did something to me when I started memorizing those words. So he knew where I was in my lostness. But God also knew of my need for purpose and direction in my life. That's what verse 10 is about. Like, I discovered verse 10 when Tina and I were graduating from seminary. Um, and it was actually in 1988 when that happened. And, and here's the thing. Um, I, 
I went to seminary on faith. I was ready to do ministry. And I was so in demand at the end of seminary that I moved back home and lived in my mother and father-in-law's basement. And so it was, it was an amazing ride. And bless her heart, she's here still. And she followed through all of that. And, and, and here, but here's the thing. I took this little verse, this little pat, and I put it on a post-it note and put it on the mirror so I could read it every day so that I wouldn't just know it, but that I would believe it. Because you see, God's will and God's timing go together. And we have to know how to, to live in such a way that, that despite our circumstances, that God gives us a way forward. Well, what can this passage of Scripture, if, if I, as I get out of telling you why it's my life verse, why might it, should it be your life verse? Well, thanks for asking. Here we go. Um, it, why should it be your verse? Um, look at verse, verse um, let me just read it again. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast. And then get to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Let's stop there. God is authoring something new in you because of who he is. God is doing something new in you because of Jesus. That's what it means when it says we are God's workmanship. It, it means that when we meet Jesus in that verses 8 and 9, when we realize salvation comes as a grace gift from God, that God actually takes residence in our life and he begins doing what workmanship means. It's the word poema. It means it's artwork. God's doing his art. It, it, think about the artists that we have. We have musical artists. We have people who do statues and painting and, I mean, all kinds of stuff that people do for art. What the scripture is literally saying is that when heaven sees you, you are unique to God. You are a unique piece of art. That it'll never happen again. It's never happened to this point. And guess what? The world needs you to be who God designed you to be. The body of Christ needs you to be who God has designed you to be. Now, you're a work of art, but you're still in progress. <laughs> so, so don't get all you know, big-headed about it. You're, yeah, you're artwork, but at the end of the day, God's chiseling it still, right? I mean, God's still shaping you. I turned 60 last week, and God is as hard at work in me at 60 as he was at 18. And I wouldn't have believed it. I mean, I thought I'd been better by now. Listen, this heart is, is sinful, <laughs> Jesus is graceful. My wife is graceful. See, if, at the end of the day, we are his workmanship. Notice what it says when you move on a little bit farther, though, in verse, in verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship. Why? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's stop there for one second. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jesus loves you because of your good works. It says that when he moves in, you do good works. Our good works are confirmation of our relationship with Jesus. Even the desire to do them is a sign that God is at work in your life. They don't earn us a relationship with Jesus. They confirm our relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're not a Georgia fan, I'm sorry, but just play along with this illustration. I want you to imagine that Kirby Smart, um, who's going to the national championship with the Georgia Bulldogs, calls you and says, you know what? Um, you really haven't been a part of the team up to now. You really haven't worked out. But I'd like you to come and participate 
with the team next week in the national championship game. You come up, and I'll give you something to do that'll match who you are. Now, <laughs> I know that's goofy, but at the end of the day, that'd be cool, right? I mean, you're, you're asked to participate in something that you didn't earn. You get to be a part of a, an event that the whole world will look at, or the whole United States will look at, and regardless of the outcome, you, you've been invited to participate in it, not because of who you are, but because somehow Kirby Smart knows you. Do you see it? At the end of the day, God is ruling the universe. You sang about it. God is ruling the universe, and he's inviting you to participate in what he's doing. Listen, I'm glad that I'm going, I'm glad that eternal life means that I go to heaven when I die. Can I tell you it's so much more than that? You get to participate in what God is doing now and forever. And you don't deserve it. You just get to do it. And he loves to watch you. I went to my, <laughs> I went to my granddaughter's first dance recital the other day. You know, she pays to do it. Or her parents pay. And it was definitely cute, but it wasn't dancing. I, I mean, it, I, I have no idea what it was. But at the end of the day, I was proud. I was happy to be there. Can I say to you, some of us need to get over ourselves and realize we're not blessing God by anything we do. And he just likes to see us doing what he designed us to do because we love him. So at the end of the day, there's this, we, God is authoring something new. We have good works. And number three, or the next thing is, your life is a gospel reflection. Your life is a gospel reflection. You see what it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. If you've if you've ever been outside at night on like the harvest moon, you know, when the moon's real pretty or whatever, real big, it's like right on the horizon. Um, you know that the moon is just a rock, right? It's just a rock. There's no light in the moon. It's just a giant reflector. God in his design and wisdom just has this rock going around the, the earth and it's not a light, but the sun is a light. And because every time you see the moon, it is the sun's glory that you see. It is the brilliance of the sun being reflected off a rock. <laughs> oh gosh, can you see it? Like, listen, just be you and let the glory of the sun reflect off of you. That, that's what this is. We are reflections of the gospel. So don't stress out. Just be obedient. Just let God do what God does. When I first read this verse years and years ago, when it said that there was, a, there was something that God prepared in advance for us to do, I kind of had in my mind that there was a list. You know, like there's a list that God wants me to discover that this is what a Christian does every day. Like, you know, read your Bible, pray, don't hit somebody. You know, whatever. Here, this, is the Christian, this is the Christian list. And, but what I've discovered is it really has nothing to do with a list. It has, it's, it's the idea that you're becoming a new being. You're doing life in a different way because Jesus is in you. And, and so, what, so 
what you do is you wake up in the morning and instead of being you know, mad at traffic, you actually are looking to bless other people. You're looking for ways to be a blessing to your spouse. Think about how marriages would be different, dads, if we got up and the first thing we wanted to do before we left home was bless our spouse in some way. How would the world be different? If you don't know, ask your bride. She will tell you how it would be different. So, and, and wives, what, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's not a list that makes you a Christian. There's a person inside of you who is empowering you to live like Christ in your circles of influence. Well, all of that is amazing news. But I want us to look at Acts chapter 9 as, as a way to close this. And I want, us to, I want us to acknowledge this. We agree with what we just said. We like it. It's amazing what Ephesians does. But I want you to see the miracle that that ever got written. I want us to focus on the Apostle Paul, and I want us to see how far God had to bring him. Because I think it might give you some hope. I think it might give you some hope about how far he can bring you. So in Acts chapter 9, I'll just start in verse 1. It says, but Saul, and you, if you don't know, that's the Apostle Paul later on. Saul, that's what he's called in the Bible at this point. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, and the way is the church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Theologians call this a theophany. It's, a, it's, a, it's Jesus showing himself in a way that is um, uh, like an incarnation moment, even after he's gone back to heaven. So, this, in this, so Paul has a theophany where he sees Jesus. And here's what's interesting to me. Um, Jesus interrupts Paul doing the wrong thing so he can realign his life to do the right thing. Not because Paul's going to be right, but because Jesus is going to be in him and make it, and make it right. So have you had a divine interruption ever? See, here's what I'm betting. I'm betting you just thought it was bad circumstances. I think, you, I think we've all had them. We just called them something different. Like, what if COVID was a divine interruption? What if a health crisis is a divine interruption? What if a tough child is a divine interruption? Hey, kids, what if a tough parent is a divine interruption? You see how it's different if you think of it as a divine interruption versus a bad circumstance? See, if it's a divine interruption and there's purpose and there's plan, yeah, you still got to wade through all the hairball of it. But at the end of the day, a divine interruption is simply God trying to get your attention so he can show you how he's going to show off in your life. See, the apostle Paul is a mess. He doesn't know he's a mess. Do you have family members like that? <laughs> I mean, hey, I've been a mess and not known I'm a mess. And so, so, so anyway, there you go. Um, Tina says, amen. Okay, um, but let's look at verse 10. So let's keep traveling with, with Paul. And now in verse 10, now, now there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, I love this, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many men about, uh, from many people about this man, how much evil he's done. So before social media, there was something. There was some kind of, there was some kind of prayer chain that was going on about the apostle, about the apostle Paul. So here's Ananias, and God is, tapping on Ananias' shoulder and said, go visit Paul. And Ananias says, God, have you heard of him? And God says, yeah, I have heard of him. And, 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 but here's the point of this particular plan. God's plan for you is linked with other Jesus followers. Many of you in this room are not old enough to remember the Lone Ranger, uh, but there are no Lone Ranger Christians. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, not healthy ones, not ones that you want to hang out with. See, at the end of the day, um, God uses you in the life of other people because God's plan for you is not just about you. Look at verse 15. Um, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's camp out here for, for just a second. Um, as you think about this, I want you to think about the fact that Ananias knew what Paul was supposed to do before Paul knew what Paul was supposed to do. Ananias knew what Paul was to do before Paul did. Can I tell you what's true in my life? Other people knew I would be in ministry before I did. Other people saw things in me that were ministry kind of things and they spoke them into my life. That they didn't even know they were doing it. They just told me stuff. And those were divine interruptions where God was speaking through them because the Christian life is not just about you for you. It's, it's about others through you. Notice, notice this. I, I have four, five grandkids now. Soon... soon there will be six, um, and they're all five and under. So it's a party at our house. Um, but let me just be completely transparent with you for just a second. I don't need a village to help me raise them. I need a church to help me raise them. I need people who will hold little Minnie Cooper before he can talk, before he can even hold his head up. And sing, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible told me, tells me so, in his ear. And I need that man or woman, whoever is doing that, to know that that matters. And that eternity will be different for that. And guess what? You will, f and that, the, that Jesus is happy when that happens. And guess what? I'm going to need some middle school people. When these six rambunctious kids hit that age, I need some people who are going to be willing to to walk through that crazy middle school time with them besides just their parents. And guess what? I need a church that's going to love their parents and help them stay married. Amen. See, Christianity, this, we're not here just because it's Sunday. We're here because this is the body of Christ. And you might not think you need each other, but you have been designed to need each other. And who you are matters in this particular church, at this particular time, 
in history because there are other people who need you to help them raise their grandkids and their children. And guess what? Some of them are driving by right now and don't even care that you're meeting because they're like Paul. God has not divinely interrupted their life yet. Well, next, your past doesn't stop God from producing his future. Look at verses 20 and 21. For some days, so so Ananias did his thing. He went and talked to Paul. Verse 20. For some days he was with, this is Paul. For some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But look at what it says. Well, let me wait there. So here's the thing. The clarity of who Paul was before Christ is as clear as who he was after Christ. Do you see that? Like, he was this, but now people are complaining because he is this. And he's going to be persecuted and eventually executed because of that. Here's the point. I don't know if everybody has this, but I have negative voices in my head. Like, and my negative voices remember everything I've done. It remembers the times that I've been mean and rude and lustful and greedy and all those kind of things. And, and here's the thing. If I'm not careful, if I listen to those voices, I get really bad. I mean, it's, it's not good. It's a dark place. But here's what I want us all to see. What Jesus did in the past is stronger than what you did in the past. So there's nothing that what you did in the past that can stop Jesus from giving you the future that he wants you to have. But it's not magic. It's called discipleship. It's called walking with Jesus in a community of believers, obeying him every day. You know that you probably as a little kid had to memorize Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, those Jews had little lights on their shoes that were like little flashlights. And when they walked, you could just see enough to be able to know what the next step would be. Well, that's what the picture is. The picture for Paul is he was this, he became this because he did all of, because God was with him in all this stuff in the middle. I want to close by getting to verse 22, and it says this, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that, that Jesus was the Christ. Here's my statement on that. When you follow Jesus, your affections are transformed. When you follow Jesus, your affections get transformed. Um, imagine... I'm sorry, this, I don't usually use this many football illustrations, but if you're a Gator fan in here, imagine that you're a, a bull Gator. You ha, you're a big, fun guy, and you can, do, you can help the school and all that kind of stuff. Imagine what would have to happen in your life for you to all of a sudden become an FSU fan. Or, yeah, and, or if you were a golden chief, for you supporting FSU, and now all of a sudden you're going to give money and time to Florida, University of Florida. It's not happening. Because your affection is for a different school. 
Here's what I want us to see. A measure of how you're doing spiritually is how is your affection for Jesus? Is it enough to keep you in the word? Is it enough to make prayer your first response, not your last resort? Is it enough to help you set aside your preference to serve your wife and kids? Is it, you get the idea that all, all of those things, but let me tell you something amazing about your church and that I love this about your church. I just saw it on your website, but this is a sheet that if you go to your mission and values, this is all your mission and values stuff. Do you know, um, your staff doesn't just plan things here to keep you busy. The goal is not your busyness. The goal is your affection for Jesus going through the roof. And that, this strategy piece, this, these mission, vision, values that they spent months on praying through, this is simply a partnership that they're, do, that they're saying to you as a church, let's do this together. Let's carry the name of Jesus in our, into our world with these things. And guess what? We're betting that we'll love each other more and love Jesus more as a result of these things. So here's, my, here's the closing. I want to ask you, does you, do you need for God to give you an alternate ending? How many of you have seen the movie The Guardian? It's old now. Anybody seen the movie? It's a Coast Guard movie? Okay. Um, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how it ends. But it, it's, if you haven't seen it now, you're not going to see it. Um, so Kevin Costner's in this particular movie, and he's a rescue swimmer up in Alaska, and he's, he's a guy who trains other people to be rescue swimmers. And, um, and in the end, now, I don't have Netflix, so I have, the, I have the DVD. So I don't know if they do this on Netflix. But on the DVD, like the old school DVD that you have to put in the machine, um, you can choose an alternate ending. In the movie that went to Hollywood and was at the movie theater, Kevin Costner dies. It's awesome. I mean, it's better that he dies. I like. I mean, really, seriously. But but if you don't want him to die, but if you don't want him to die, you can choose the alternate ending on the DVD. Okay. Here's here's what I don't deceive yourself. Okay, this is you and God right now. Do you need an alternate ending? Do you need to trade the ending that you've been living toward, either consciously or unconsciously, for the ending? that God wants you to have. Because it's really this easy. It's really easy for you to say, God, um, for 2023, I'm putting my faith in, an, in the ending you want for my life. So my faith is going to be on your promises. I'm going to believe in your promise. I'm going to be in your word. And my focus is going to be on your kingdom. And Jesus... This time next year, I want to see where, where we are. And I would encourage you, with somebody that you trust, tell them you did that. Tell them. Tell them that you've asked for an alternative ending. Psalm 37, 25 says this. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging bread. 
He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. So here's the promise I want to claim for you. Choose an ending that allows you to, at the end of your life, say, I I have been young and now I am old. And I know that God is generous.